Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. She got into my arms. She loves flowers. And I was like, I'm so sorry. She has autism. She was like, she's fine. Well, on Oliver Plunkett Street in the middle of broad daylight, there's a group of young men just getting high. For somebody coming in off an ambulance trolley, I have found that we physically do not have enough trolleys. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 it was absolutely chucking it down rain-wise around 10 or 5 to 6 this morning. Funny, I often say to you that my, my little cat is a great weather vane. And last night there was no way was she coming in. She sleeps out on the deck and if it's raining she gets in under the table. Or she in, <laughs> But last night there was no way would she come in to go to bed. So I let her there and I said, right, that'll be fine now. Lovely dry night. <laughs> I woke this morning, not to the sound of the alarm clock, my friends, at quarter to stupid in the morning, to the sound of the cat bellowing. And I looked up in bedroom window. There she was sitting on the outdoor table and she howling to be let in out of the rain. And then all of a sudden it was gone. And with a bit of luck, it's gone for the day. Morning. 0818 96 96 the number, the text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 and the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Some terrible tragedy around the place over the weekend. We will focus on it later in the morning with Katie, but we had a teenager who died in a two car collision on the M8 at Ballybag. We have another one of those teenagers from that accident in very, very serious condition and the driver of the other car is in hospital with uh, serious injuries. And to man you in court in Mallow today in connection with another crash. This was in McCourton Street in Fomoy Saturday night. And I have in front of me here a beautiful, beautiful photograph of gorgeous Cape Clear, the little inlet there in Cape Clear where the ferry comes in and where the pubs, the pub is. And tragedy struck down there uh, Saturday evening when a man died. The story is he was playing football with his kids and the ball went over a cliff and he knew a way down or thought he did and as you say the rest the rest, the rest is unfortunate sad history we'll focus more on those uh, later on in the morning also anything that you think we should be talking about and that we're not talking about that's why we tell you to join the comp- join the conversation all right or start a conversation even better. Start the conversation. Was there something that we missed? Was there something we should be talking about? Straight in. Actually, another... I'm going to say this straight out. Another little... How shall I put it? Shot fired in the battle against the humble motorist. We are are hated by the authorities, the humble motorist, 
the person, not the person who can quite easily get public transport. Lots of people can. I unfortunately can't. I love to get the bus when possible. It's not always possible. And I don't mean because of the weather. I love to get the bus. And I do frequently. Problem is when I leave here, I have commitments to my son that require me to have the car. Because where he is and where he goes by day, there isn't a bus service. So what are we supposed to do? Anyway, Cork City Council has advised that the southern section of St. Patrick's Hill closed from today to facilitate roadworks. Have you seen what they're doing? They're building another footpath you could play a flipping match on. Eventually, there's going to be carnage down there because it's, it's, it's like a little country lane is all that will be left at the corner of a main street. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Taking place from the junction of Hardwick Street to the junction of McCorton Street for eight weeks. It's part of the McCorton Street Public Transport Improvement Scheme. Yeah. Local access will be maintained. Motors are advised to follow diversions. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, and by the way, afterwards, there might be some parking back on Patrick's Hill. Blah, 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 blah. All right. Enough of me. Enough of me. Who'd be a GP? I'll tell you something. Who would? There is a shortage of them anyway. And we were talking last week about that, how it's so hard to get a GP these days. So hard to get on the books of a GP. Maybe Fiona can cast some light on why it is so tough and why would anybody want to be a GP. Fiona, you're interrupting your holidays in Italy to take our call. And thank you for doing so because work no, Has I'm it, back now, actually. Oh, you're back. I'm back. Oh, back. I'm work, back with a bang. Work <laughs> invaded your holiday. Morning. Yes, unfortunately. You had yeah. to come back. Yeah, well, I was I was due to come back on Saturday anyway, so I did. I came back on, on um, Sunday morning, landed back in Castletown Bear at three o'clock in the morning. You, you were but scheduled I for had, next Saturday, yeah? No, no, This the, the Saturday just oh, gone. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, so yeah. t- tell us what's been happening. So you're a GP. Yeah, so I'm a GP down in, in the Barra Peninsula, which is, um, as you know, it's fairly rural. We're two hours from the nearest acute trauma, surgical and obstetrical units in Cork City and an hour from Bantry Hospital, which, deal, which deals with medical um, injuries. And as you know, we've two sh- offshore islands down here in, in Castletown, Bear. There is Bear Island, which is accessed by ferry and Dorsey, which is accessed by cable car. So we're very, very rural. And basically, um, you know, it's it's very hard to attract a GP down here. Um, it's very, very busy. Um, I suppose I have over a thousand medical card patients on my list and probably a few thousand more private patients. And I'm the company doctor for most of the fishing factories lo- located here. Mm. And I also look after the community hospital here in Castletown as well, which I'd visit twice a day um, before I start work in the surgery. Great, and also great little hospital, actually. Great little hospital. It is. And you know what? We have we have patients who suffer from dementia there. We also have two palliative care beds. So patients who would be from the area, you know, we, they don't really, you know, want to spend their last days in Marymount Hospice because it's too far away for their family to travel. Yes. So it's a great little unit, yeah. And, you know, we make sure they're comfortable and that their family can visit and it's it's fabulous. And we also offer respite um, beds then uh, to patients so that their carers can get a bit of respite as well. Yeah. So it's great. So I look after that as well. And then on top of it then, I suppose, you know, the majority of injured 
and sick international fishermen who land on our pier on a daily basis. I'd be responsible for a, a lot of them as well, you know. Yeah. And I suppose... PJ, the culture in the Barrier Peninsula is that people see their GP about everything. Like, we'd be the first port to call. They come with heart attacks, strokes, hemorrhages, traumatic amputations. They don't ring 999 down here, you know. Mm -hmm. The GP sees everything, you know. Yeah. We're like a, an a and &E in ourselves, you know. But I suppose that's just because we're so far from, yeah. from everything. So it's a busy, busy practice. Getting a holiday alone is, is hard, I'd say. It's so so hard um you know i have i have three kids um i was able to take um five weeks maternity leave with my first uh child jack because i was not unable to source a locum i advertised nationally i put ads in every single medical paper i could and i didn't even get one reply and then a year and a half later when lizzie was born i could only take four weeks because it was the same thing. I didn't get one reply to my ad. Um, so, and that's 10 yeah, years ago. Jack is 10 now, isn't that's he? That's 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah right. that's 10 years ago. So, yeah, it's 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 very difficult. Um, so, and like, you probably saw from my Facebook post, you know, I had a tough year this year. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad died. Um, I had surgery. My son had to have surgery. Um, my mom was hospitalised, so I was so looking forward you to this holiday. You needed a break. You needed a break. Really you needed the sheer joy of doing nothing for a week or two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I was lucky enough to have been, that I was contacted by this lovely um, retired GP. And she actually saw me on prime time in 2021 when I was trying to highlight that time the lack of out-of-hours services in rural areas. We were nearly um, two and a half months down here in Beira with no out-of-hours services at all. And um, so Miriam O'Callaghan came down and she interviewed, she did an interview and this lovely retired GP contacted me a few months later when she retired and she said, you know, her insurance was going to be there for a little while more and she would love to offer me a few weeks off. So oh, wow. I was absolutely thrilled um, and my holiday would not have been possible only for her. And she actually covered as well when my when my dad um, passed away in January. Oh, so kind of her. So, yeah. So what happened was that a few weeks ago, um, she realised that her medical insurance would run out on Thursday, Thursday last. So she, I had her in place for like about eight days. Yeah. And there was one day that... Her, her insurance, she wouldn't have been insured for. So that was last Friday. So she tried in vain to renew it for one more day. But unfortunately, she was met with a resounding no. And she was told that she'd basically have to renew for a full year, which was a, a non-runner really, because that would cost several thousand euro. So she couldn't so then, extend uh, for a day, even under extenuating circumstances? No, no, no. Wow. Um, and was that down to her insurer or down to who? I, I, I presume the insurer. I'm, okay. I'm not really sure, okay. you know. But these are all the, you know, not, you know, the battles that we, you know, mm. that we have to face in general practice. And without insurance, she can't open the door? She can't, no, 
Absolutely not. And, you know, and my flight, I, 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 my flight wasn't coming back until Saturday. I flew from Cork to Pisa. So the flights are only on Tuesday and Saturday. So my frantic search then for one day's cover began. So I contacted um, three GPs uh, to cover. But unfortunately, the first three that I um, contacted were not renewing their registration. Um, and this seems to be the norm. What, basically. they were getting out of it, like? Yeah, older GPs right. retiring and no one to take their place. Um, we contacted two locum companies who provide locum doctors. They had nobody available. And we also put um, an advertisement on um, on a medical uh, forum as well. And I made several word of mouth I- inquiries. So it wasn't as if I didn't try. I did my very, very best. But all my efforts were completely unsuccessful. So... Basically, on Friday, I was placed, I was faced with no other decision but to close the practice for the day. And we left a message initially on, you know, directing people what to do. You know, we said, you know, if anyone needed, you know, urgent medical assistance to dial 999 or go to their nearest, um, you know, hospital Um and, you know, there's also the out-of-hour services then that would kick in at six o'clock. And is so, that now, now where's the nearest out-of-hours in, in that neck of the woods? Yeah, so there is one in Castletown Bear. It is hit and miss, though. Sometimes it would be manned and others times it wouldn't. Right. So the next place really would be Bantry, which okay. for some people on the Bear Peninsula, say people living over in Allies, that's about... It could be up to an hour and a half's drive, you know. On a bad road. And then again, yeah. if you're living in Bear Island or Dorsey, you, you'd have the either the cable car or the, the ferry to get on top of that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you so had, the, the, so there was no, you had no surgery? I had no surgery. And then um, I got an email. Um, normally the surgery would open like it. We'd start seeing patients at half past nine. So at 10 o'clock, I got an email from the HSE primary care unit asking me to explain my decision, um, why I closed. So, and there was a few people CCC'd or CC'd on, on this email. So I basically wrote back to them, emailed them back, and I explained how I had tried and tried and tried and tried. And and it was very ironic, and you probably saw that on my post, that one of the HSE staff who was CC'd on the email returned an automated response to say that they were on annual leave until July the, the 10th, you know. Yes. Um, where is you know, I wasn't able, even able to, you know, take a full ho- holiday without the stress. So then I decided, uh, right, I better contact my practice manager. She turned on the phones and the decision was made that I would sit down in Manarola in Italy in the Cinque Terre and uh, she would contact me every 30 to 60 minutes um, um, and basically relay my guidance to the manager. Yeah, so I I was basically working remotely from Italy. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And the HSE primary care people were given out to you? Yeah. They wanted me to kind of explain my decision why the practice was closed. And here's the thing. Correct me if I'm wrong here. You are a self-employed individual. Your business is your own business. As in, you don't work for the HSE. You work for yourself. Well, uh, 
well it's kind of we we it's 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 a little bit different so gps while we're self-employed we're also independent contractors for the hsc Mm. so yeah so how that works when we sign the contract with the hse we have to accept a 24 7 365 day commitment to our patients our gms patients our medical card patients yeah yeah and 365 days yeah is and that if it? we can't cover if we can't cover if we can't cover that ourselves obviously you can't we then have to you know take steps to get somebody and and else. tell me something this contract that you sign which mm-hmm. look it is what it is. It's completely outdated anyway. It goes uh, back yeah. to the early oh, I'm 70s. well aware of that. In fact, I know mm. one one doctor, in fact, one couple who are both doctors who had a huge practice on the north side of the city here. I won't name them. They're gone to Canada mm. because they just couldn't take that yeah. crack. Anyway, yeah. so, but the HSE people who rang you to give out to you on Friday or whenever it was, yeah, they pay yeah. no role in getting you covered. No, and I'll, I'll, uh, a GP actually who I trained with um, contacted me um, two days ago. And I'm just going to read you, if it's okay, just with her permission. Absolutely. Just the first part of her email. Absolutely. Um, so I'm not the only one in this situation. I, so here we go. I myself am a single-handed GP. I was in a serious road traffic accident in 2020. I discharged myself from hospital against medical advice in an attempt to secure a locum for my practice, despite making at least 60 phone calls whilst concussed and with a, fra- with a fractured spine, I was unsuccessful in securing cover. I reached out to the HSE who are unable to assist me. I was readmitted to hospital for pain management. I had no choice but to continue to operate my surgery remotely from hospital during this time. My God. So I'm going to put a question to you based on what you're telling me, Fiona, which Mm. listeners, I think they're probably thinking of it as they sit with their coffee. So you're a self-employed contractor to the HSE, okay? As are all of your colleagues. And are you saying to me, Fiona, there is no office or no official within HSE to whom you can say, I'm going on holidays and I need locum cover. There is no offer, there is no office that assists you with that. Well, you you can try, but you would be told that, you know, there's nothing they can do. It's it's your responsibility to find the locum. That's exactly what I mean. There is no... There's no assistance. So the HSE that tie you into this contract yep. will not and assist you like, in finding what like you weren't on holidays. You had you've had the tragedy of your of, of your dad, and I'm so sorry for your loss. I know what it's like. Mm. Um like, yeah, it's awesome. and there's they, no no one you can't pick up the phone to the HSE and say, Come here, I need I need a locum. Yeah. And like exactly and you know, it's 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 up to us, and then you know we face the backlash of it. Then, when sure. when we can't secure a locum, even though we've done everything in our power to get one, you know. And as I said, I'm not the only GP, but like you know, I just decided to speak out about it. You I'm know, delighted I that you did. The Friday, Fiona. 
This is the learning. Actually... This is the learning experience for nearly seventy thousand people who listen to this program every morning. And the thing is, as well, like like I think, like the HSE have to accept some responsibility for helping to secure locum cover for well, sick leave, annual leave, and maternity leave. Your contract and, is with them. Lord, we've we've talked yeah. so much about bloody contracts in RTE for the last couple of weeks. We're getting very used yeah. to contractors. Your yeah. contract yeah. is with them. Yes, you're self-employed, yeah. like, but your contract is with the HSE. And there's and no who, assistance like, we're right, talking about in getting you a locum. No. And like who in their right mind, really, PJ, would opt to take over a rural single-handed practice with no guaranteed time off? They just won't. No. You know, I qualified from the CART GP scheme. So I did seven years of medicine in UCC. Then I was lucky enough to, to get into the CART GP training scheme, which took another four years. Um, so that's 11 years in, in total. And there was 14 of us who trained in the Cork, um, who qualified in 2009 from the Cork GP training scheme. And there's only a handful of them now, PJ, working as GPs, you know. Um, some of them have gone into palliative care medicine, where they're direct employees of the HSE. They've gone into area medical officer positions where they they give the school vaccines. Um, one girl has done dermatology, others are doing research. So they're direct um, employees of the HSE. So they get all the benefits that go with that. You know, yeah. they get their sick leave entitlements, their their annual leave entitlements, their maternity entitlements. Yeah. GPs don't get that. Fiona, in all but name, and God, you have it in, we've heard again so much of it in the last couple of weeks, in all but name, you are employed. By the HSE. Mm. You know, I mean, here's the thing, right? My, my managers here know months in advance when I want time off. And I get that time off sanctioned. It's up to them to fill it for me. Yeah. So yeah. You, should be able to inf- you should be able to inform the HSE I will be taking leave from that date to that date. Yep. Please fill my practice. Yeah, that's the way it should be. And, you know, my daughter had had um, her battle with leukemia. Um, yeah. I did a blood test on her when she was three. And, you know, it was up and down to Crumlin and up and down to, to the Mercy Hospital for two and a half years while she was getting chemotherapy. And I still worked right throughout that because I was not able to get a locum and there was many nights where you know we'd, we'd come down from her getting chemotherapy in Dublin and we'd arrive down in Castletown Bear after a six seven hour drive and then Lizzie would spike a temperature oh, and yeah and you know she'd anybody who's going through chemotherapy at the moment would know that if you spike a temperature when you, when you're on chemotherapy you are, um, you know, susceptible to sepsis. So that also, if your temperature goes more than 38, you have to go back to hospital for IV antibiotics. So it happened two occasions where we arrived down and off up to, to Cork, arrived down from Dublin and off, off up to Cork for her IV antibiotics. And I'd have to leave then again in the morning to go straight down to work, you know. How are you still standing, Fiona? So I'm, I'm strong, you know, and I love, no, don't get me wrong, PJ. I'm from Beira. I absolutely love it. You'd want to absolutely. love it. You'd want to love but it. it. <laughs> but, you know, just the bureaucracy and the, the red tape, it's kind of zapping 
my energy at the moment. Well, well you and know what, the next time another... someone rings up and asks why there are no GPs, <laughs> we'll just send them a copy of this. I'd be gone years yeah. ago, girl. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, my, my friends now who, who left GP, they all think I'm crazy, like, you know, still working in the system, you know. And another thing as well that I don't think people are aware of, of you know, say if, if you are lucky enough then to secure a locum doctor, right, mm. it costs us a minimum of 700 euro a day, right, because it's about three, 350 a session and a session is a morning or an afternoon. So 700 a day, right, um, at a minimum to cover. And this this doesn't include accommodation costs, which we'd have to provide for a lot of, you know, doctors to mm. attract them to the area. And the HSE then gives us 190 per day towards this for annual leave, sick leave and maternity leave. So time off is costly for us as well, you know, and the bills are still coming in. And, you know, so we, we pay for our time off as well, you know, 700 a day minimum. Wow. You know. Yeah. And I suppose then as well, um, you know, doctors, in addition, you know, in addition to working our long days, we're expected to cover out of hours as well. And, you know, like South Dock shifts and in rural areas, um, you know, we're expected to be on call overnight after having worked all day. And then we must go into work again the following day, you know, because often, as I said down here, we, we can't secure um out of ours doctors. So we kind of have to do it ourselves. And a tired doctor is a bad doctor. You know, if you're tired, you're a bad doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And exhaustion, it impacts on family life. So I think really, you know, this needs to change as well. Um, if, you know, the HSE want to, you know, to, to attract GPs to rural areas. Um, but it seems to be, PJ, just obstacles in every direction. And I'll give you another good example now, right? Do you know what I'm going to um, have to do, Fiona? I'm going to have to take a commercial break because I'm way behind. Okay. Can you give me two minutes and we'll talk again for a little while longer? Great. Yeah. I'm talking to uh, Fiona Kelly, a GP based down in west of Ireland, down in the Barra Peninsula. And she had to give up the last day of her holidays to take remote calls from her surgery because there was no locum. There was no locum to cover her. The locum she had couldn't do the last day because of an insurance issue. But she's telling me what it's like to try and work as a doctor in a rural area and try and get cover in a rural area. And then you wonder why people are leaving and quitting as GPs. I'm back to Fiona in about two minutes. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. It's time. It's time to wake up. Wake up. Lorraine and Ross in the morning starts July 17th. Test drive the award-winning Skoda Enyaq electric SUV at no DC Cars. Skoda sales dealer of the Corks 96 FM. Conscious that you may have patients waiting to see you this morning, so I won't keep you for too long more. But just to, to finish up, you're saying like GP, the GP service is on its knees, and the public doesn't really understand how bad things are. Yeah. And the HSE um, and the Irish College of General Practitioners now have started up this scheme which sounds brilliant, um, where these non-EU doctors can apply 
um, to come into our practice in an area of need and they spend two years with the GP there and at the end of that they can get their um, their registration with the Irish College of General Practitioners so they'll have MICGP after their, their name. Now that is absolutely a brilliant brilliant um, plan but again the red tape um, that's attached with that um, just is unbelievable. Like my friend, she's an, an non-EU doctor now and she wants to work in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And she started the process back in February and she was advised by the Medical Council that it would be seven months after her documents were received before her application would even be assessed. Holy mother um, of God. Yeah. And the email from the Medical Council, you know, was quite obstructive, really. Um it says in four places, and I have it here in front of me. I'm going to read just um, four little pieces from you. It is currently taking approximately seven months to commence assessment once documents are received. Please note this is an estimated time frame to begin assessment, not to complete the assessment. Please note that individual requ- queries regarding wait times will not be answered. Please note that we are unable to confirm when individual documents have been received. You are respectively requested in the interim to defer from contacting the Medical Council. Requests for application updates before the assessment has commenced will not be answered at this time. Don't call us, we'll call you. Yeah. And now the ethos of the Medical Council is protecting patients and supporting doctors. It's kind of not doing that there really, you know, because what's going to happen is you you have these non-EU doctors who want to come to Ireland. If it's take at the moment, it's taking about a year before all their paperwork will be will be sorted and all the the verification process has gone through. What are they going to do? They'll go to New Zealand, or they'll go to Canada, where it takes six seven weeks. Oh. Fiona, I I will let you get to work. You've answered so many questions (laughs) for people who are ringing this programme asking why they can't get into a doctor's books. Yeah. It's because the doctors are are quitting in droves and it's hard to blame them. It's hard to blame them. And like in February 22, there were 26 GP panels left vacant and like more than half of these vacancies were in towns and villages in rural Ireland. Nobody wants you to know, do it because nobody it. wants to enter the profession anymore. So, so things have to change, PJ. And like, I've lots of solutions, but like, I can't solve it myself. It obviously has to come from, you know, the well, higher powers. Well, you know what you know? you've done today? You've done a remarkable service because we, we will podcast this interview. We will send it out to anybody who'll take it. And with a bit of luck, you'll be reaching a much wider audience than you've had for the last 30 minutes. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for everything you you do for the people of West Cork. I'm sorry your holiday holiday had to be interrupted. At least you're working in one of the most beautiful places in the world. That might be some consolation. I am. I'm currently now looking out the window, looking at the boats over in Danish Island. So it's, it's, it's lovely. How gorgeous is that? Fiona, lovely talking to you. We'll talk again. Thank you very much. That's Fiona Kelly. GP in West Cork doing it for the love of it you would think at this point 0818 96 96 96 that poor woman says John 
She must be exhausted when you hear this and then look at the waste in RTE, staff falling over each other and massive salaries for a few hours' work. Shocking stuff. The HSE is a disgrace. No wonder doctors are quitting. Listening to that doctor, my heart goes out to her, says Michael. My God Almighty, it's a disgrace this country is so badly managed. The top table take and take and take. It's always the same. When you're self-employed, you're treated so badly. I couldn't believe on Saturday evening that Michal Martin was giving out about the Israeli government building houses for Israeli people. I mean, really, fix your own problems first. Mind your own business, Mr. Martin, says Mick. I suggest part of the problem, this is Michael, I suggest part of the problem in relation to government-provided services may be attributed to the fact that we have pencil-pushing civil servants sitting at desks with little or no direct contact with the problem. I went through this with staff at United Nations HQ in New York. Most of the problems can be laid at the feet of civil servants. Marie says, I'm shocked listening to that GP. We hear from time to time about the GP issue, but I never realised it was so bad. There's the thing. She was on holidays in Italy. She had to give up the last day of her holidays to work remotely because there was no locum. She had a locum, but the locum's insurance ran out the day before. The locum couldn't get an extension on the insurance for the day, so she was stuck without anybody in the surgery. Having talked to her practice manager, she had to be at the end of her phone every 30 minutes on her holidays in Italy to provide cover for the day in her very, very busy practice. In a year where her, her dad died and her mum was in hospital, she had surgery, her son was sick. If ever a woman needed a break, if ever anybody needed a break, Fiona needed a break, there she was, joined herself in Italy, and all this starts to happen. Because there is nobody in the HSE to whom you can say, look, I'm going to be on holidays from the 1st of July to the 15th of July, and I need locum. Surely it should be somebody's job in the HSE to find and assign those locums. She's paying for it. You heard her say that too. I think that's been one of the most enlightening calls we've taken on this show in a very long time with regard to the shortage of GPs. And the next time you're wondering why it's taken you weeks to get an appointment, or the next time you're wondering why you can't get on a GP's books, why they're so short, that's why. That kind of nonsense that Fiona's going through. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Yeah, no. Lorraine and Ross in the morning starts July 17th. Test drive the award-winning Skoda Enyaq electric SUV at no DC cars. Skoda sales dealer of the year. Corks 96 FM. Do you ever seen this story there before the weekend? A 14 million euro settlement approved in the High Court for a teenager. He's 16 now. He has physical and cognitive impairments that... The claim was that his delivery wasn't properly managed at St. Finbar's Hospital. Callum McCarthy is his name. He's 16. He burst into tears on court, in court last Thursday when Judge Paul Coffey approved a settlement and an apology was read out. Callum had sued through his mother, Melissa McCarthy, uh, over the care that they received at St. Finbar's 
around the time of his birth on October 31st of 2006. Court was told that he's developed physical, psychological and cognitive impairment due to what happened at the time. The HSE gave consent in court to the settlement. And you might have seen a clip on the news where outside uh, Mel McCarthy, his mum, said it was a big relief that their fight is over. I was absolutely thrilled to hear this result because I've known Mel McCarthy for quite a number of years through the entertainment business here in Cork where she's a great and very well-known local singer. Morning to you, Mel. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well. A big day for you and for Callum. Yeah, finally it's over. And you can see it in his face how happy he was too. Yeah, it's a fabulous photograph in the paper. He's towering over you. I know. I'm sure he's nearly six foot, I'd say, at this stage. But that wouldn't be hard like Mel would it for his time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm about five. When, when did all this start? Well, in the, the pregnancy, everything was perfect. Everything till the labour. Do you know, because I felt like, because I was 20 years of age, that they just didn't listen to me. And all of this case, I kept saying, I was never listened to. Nobody asked me. You know, that kind of way. Yeah. I didn't have a voice. And that's why I wanted to be Callum's voice, because... I didn't want that to happen to him either. What do you remember about the day he was born? Oh, I remember everything. Like, I have two other kids and I barely remember any of that, but I, I can tell you nearly the time. When I met one of the doctors, they were like, you remember every single bit, even the times. I remember everything. I was traumatised. But by the end of it, like, I went into distress, he went into distress, and they were like, if we don't get him out, he's going to be very sick. And I was like, what? I, I didn't know what was going on. And when he was born, he was resuscitated back to life. I didn't know if it was a girl or a boy. They took him away. He was been resuscitated and I was just left there and I had to wait till someone came back in the room and they were like, I said, what happened? And she wouldn't tell me anything. So that was the hardest part, just not knowing what was going on. What stage did you realise that something wasn't right with him? Well, afterwards, because he had seizures from the trauma and everything, you know, mm. they, they they christened him and everything thinking that, you know, he might not live. So we had to go to Crumlin. So then after that, you know, I had to wait for every milestone. Then after that to see, was he able to crawl, was he able to walk, the speech, everything. But there was nothing until after two, definitely. Anyway, mm. everything was so delayed and there was no services then for him either. You had to fight for everything. You had to nearly beg for an appointment. He's 16 now. Yeah. What's his life like? How is he affected by what happened to him? Um, definitely, he like he has the the best. All I can say is he's the best sense of humor, and he just never gives up. But in other ways, then school work is very very hard for him. He doesn't have any friends. He never gets. He never actually got invited to parties. Nothing. Like the darts are the only people that accepted him and made him feel that he had some friends and left to be involved for once. Now the schools are brilliant to involve him, I must say that. Yeah. They were brilliant and the teachers always looked after him. They really did. But outside that then he only had me, his brothers and his cousin Colin. He took care of him from day one. They're in school together. They made their communities, the confirmation. He he actually looked after him inside that school. He's just done his junior cert. Yeah, he cried and cried and cried trying to get through it. He struggled. The school did make it easier. I have to praise them because we went in for a meeting and they they tried their best to make it as easy as they could, you know, in their own way. So they, he kind of did a lot of work beforehand to help him. So I can't wrong them. They were fantastic. They Does really he struggle worked. to learn, Mel? He has memory loss, yeah, from the trauma. So he does have memory loss. 
So he'd, he'd remember, he's so funny, he'd remember any bloody football match, but anything to do with school, no, he's he wouldn't be the best. And he keeps repeating himself and asking the same questions. But, it's, you know, for me, I, I don't take any notice. I'm so used to it. But, like, he has to have routine. Routine is key. It's left him in a position, I think, where he'll never be able to live on his own. No, he'd always have to be looked after, definitely, yeah. Like what, what kind of care does he need? Um, see, he he actually needs, you know, he needs more speech and physio and OT, definitely, anyway. Yeah. But, um, like, he needs management, like, with his bowel and stuff, because he can't do any of that himself or anything. So he mm. will, you know, need nurses in the future, all that kind of stuff. Can he not manage his own toilet, no? No, I do all that. Okay. I do all that. And I, I, I'll continue doing it because, I, you know, he needs his own privacy. I know. That's a big thing for a 16-year-old lad. Like, he's nearly a man. Yeah. Oh, he is. Yeah, he is. But you know something? He never complained about anybody. He just got on with it. And that's one thing I can say about him. He used to always say, which appointment is it today? And he was so allergic and fed up with it because the whole summers used to be taken up by this appointment, that appointment. And you're there, you're waiting hours. Oh, so he's conscious, is he, Mel, of what's going on? Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. Okay. It's, okay. But he doesn't want to know. He knows, but he doesn't want to know. Like it's, it's a long time since I met him. He was a smallie when I met him. Oh, I know. You know, and, and, and he's a fine strapping young man now. Yeah. What does he want to do in life? Sure, I love him. He wants to be a darts player. But like I tell him, you can be a darts player. You can do what you want. Or like I'd never tell him he can't because, you know, that's all he was ever told. So I always say, no, you can do what you want. You can, you know, be what you want, but you have to practice hard. So I just keep telling him, just try hard. That's all you can say. I know. 14 million euro is a lot of money, Mel. What does it mean for you and Callum to have this there? Well, I always think of his future. I just want him to be able to have the physio, the speech, you know, to be able to... He needs, like, strength and conditioning. Um, He needs swimming. He needs to go swimming all the time to keep the strength up because of the muscles getting weak. Yeah. And for him to have to be secure, God forbid, if I wasn't around, he needs, he needs someone to be able to do it for him for his future. So at least that's all, you know, mature of. And that's why I'm happy that he has that for his future. Does he need special things at home? Oh, he definitely will. Like, oh, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, things to be modified from even the toileting. Like, it's very hard. We need a lot more space for that. You know, he's he's too big for everything now. So we definitely do need a lot more space. Okay, you'll be able to, to do that. But I think what was far more yeah. important to you, Mel, was what was said in court. You got your apology. Yeah. And you know something, I didn't know was that going to happen or not, but like Frank and the team have, honest to God, they've been amazing. Frank Bottomer, honest to God, he went through every single detail. He asked any questions. He even came up to me, Callum. They were fantastic. Like I couldn't ask for anything better. And John as well. And, you know, all the team inside, they were fantastic. Honest to God, you know, I would have been lost without all the help. Callum burst into tears when the judge ruled in his favour. That must have been some moment. Oh, do you know what it was when the apology was read out? We all realised it. It was like it hit us then. And I asked him, why were you crying? He said, ma'am, for you, for you. Do you know? He just, yeah, that's what he said to me. And I said, oh my God, he has the biggest heart. He, honest to God, does. And he he, he used to see me crying at home when everything was going on. And, I, you know, there was a lot, 
lot of stress from it. Yeah. It's been tough. It's been tough for you because, like, you, you had to give up work to, to mind him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally sang through the whole thing. <laughs> I literally did music. Yeah, music. Music is your thing. I remember you coming into studio. God, it's a few years ago now, and you sang a song for him. Yeah, I did. That was to help me deal with it because I had no other words. I couldn't find it in me, you know, so that was like my little therapy. Mm. And I just wanted to do something for him to remember because, you know, you never you never think you're going to see the day when it's all over. You really don't. Yeah. You're still singing. Oh, so yeah, I'll be singing till I'm 90. <laughs> Diva sensation, isn't it? Yeah, Diva sensation. That's us. Yeah. Well, I'm thrilled for you, Mel, because I know how long you've battled with this. You and I talked yeah. about it many years ago. I know we how did. long you... I'm absolutely delighted for you. And for him. And you know something, at least we never we never gave up. And that was the one thing I promised him. We'll never give up till we get our day. And Frank and the team made sure we got that. And I'm so happy and, and just proud of Callum. And my other two boys were in it as well. And all my family, so I'm delighted we finally got there. What's the next steps? Oh, Jesus, we just... you know what? No, I, I, I honest to God need to take it all in because... It feels like a dream. You feel like you'll never get there. So I don't, I don't even know. I honestly don't know what's next. Just to relax anyway and just enjoy the summer with the boys because the stress is over. Yeah, how has it been for your other lads? They found it hard as well because we have to plan everything around Callum. Yeah. So, But they don't complain about it. They just get on with it because they're so used to it, you know. And they accept him for the way he is. And so it's just it was just for us all that, that day to to finally be able to move on and just see Callum, you know, he understood it in his own way. And to see it in his face, everybody knew. And he was happy it was over. A huge day for your little family, Mel. Oh, it was. It was. Yeah. I'm thrilled for you, girl. Take care. And I'll see you around. Thanks very much, PJ. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96 this is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Yeah, it's definitely cooler than it has been and will be for the week. I'm looking at weather models, well, looking at what Alan O'Reilly is saying about weather models towards next weekend and beyond. There's no sign at this stage of a return to the hot stuff anytime soon. It'll come. It's summer. It always comes. But well, when we see Alan calling it, then we'll know it's 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 actually coming. Um, but there's nothing wrong with that weather out there. Yesterday, the weekend was lovely, actually. Weekend was really nice. Not as warm as you'd like it to be on the first weekend in July, but nice. I was down in Clonakilty on uh, Saturday. My dentist is there. Yes, I do. I go all the way to Clonakilty for a dentist. It's a long story. And if you're listening, Eric, in the in the surgery this morning, all going well since Saturday. See you in a couple of weeks. But it was down there. Clonakilty was just gorgeous on Saturday. Absolutely stunning. And they had their, their brass band weekend, which I'd completely forgotten about. They always do it towards the end of June, start of July. And I popped in after being in with the dentist. I popped into the fantastic 
super value there on the outside of Clonakilty Scallies. Just as you as you go in, that's a fantastic super value. And they do incredible bread and cheeses and local food. They're fantastic for supporting the local food industry there in, in, in West Cork. They've been famous for it for years now. But as I was walking into the, the, the super value, there was a brass band playing. And sure saw them, God help them, they were more, no more than about 12. They were brilliant. They were just fabulous. And all over Clon for the weekend, there were little brass bands playing. And there was, I'd, I'd safely say that the musicians were from 9 to 90. So just lovely to see. Really lovely. And beautiful weather to go along with it. 0818969696. The number of the text to WhatsApp is 0833969696. And the email is opinion at 96fm. Dot IE. You see there over the weekend where the Minister of Finance, you heard the clip in the news bulletin, said that the needs of students must be met ahead of the new academic year. This, and I, I'm predicting, we were talking about it here this morning in the office, there's going to be, oh, will I go to Joe first? I will. There's going to be war over student accommodation in September. We'll come back to it in just a sec. But Joe Shea, yeah, we're under a small bit of pressure. Joe, thanks for thanks for holding. Joe, you went to renew your car insurance. And and what, what happened to you? You wanted to tell me about it. Good morning. Morning. Hi. Uh, how's it going, PJ? What uh, happened yeah, to you? it's just well, um, it's, uh, we got our notification. You know, you come to the end of your insurance uh, every year yeah. and you get your notice to renew. And um, I opened it up, uh, trepidation, and noticed that our premium had gone up by nearly 300 euros. So nearly a third, I did lump down a third on top of what we were paying last year. Now, we had no, we hadn't made any claims, no penalty points, no nothing. Um, and and how, long uh, would, was, how long would your no claims discount be, how oh, would, Max? Well, here's the thing. We, we moved back from London six years ago, and... Didn't have a car in London because we were living in the city, right in the city centre in London, and came back here. And um, we're no spring chickens, and uh, we've had licenses for our license for years, full license, no problems. And um, we got uh, walloped, absolutely walloped, after coming back from London for the first year. We were basically treated as if we were 20, 20 year old first time drivers, uh, and we got actually got a quote for nine grand. Was one of the quotes we got for a year's insurance ah, on a family car. Yeah, yeah, nine grand. And the, the best we could do in the end was two, I think it was 2,750 euros for a year's uh, insurance on, on a family car that we use basically to go do the shopping and bring and bring our daughters to school. But um, it, we had we built up no claims bonus. So we have a full, we have, we're over the five years now. Okay. So we should be getting, you know, a good, good, a good rate. About 50% is the discount you get for a full one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's this has happened every year when we renew our insurance, and I notice it, and it's a pattern that basically you get your notice to renew. It's gone up significantly. In this case, three hundred euros nearly. Uh, then I, you, I every year I do the same thing. I ring up my, the insurer and I say, "What's this about?" And they go, "Oh, right. Um, yeah, okay. Actually, we can probably give me a second and hear the tapping on the uh, on the on the keyboard." And they say, "Actually, do you know what? We'll knock that off. We'll just give you the same rate as you paid last year." Um, so, a cynical person, PJ, which I am not, but a cynical person might suggest that the, the insurance companies are simply just lumping on 
a couple of hundred euros or 300 euros in the hope that you just, you're busy or you don't bother to check or you don't bother to shop, shop around and you just click yes and the direct debits are already set up and sure thereafter get an extra 300 a year off you for no, no effort whatsoever. Well, Joe, you wouldn't be a cynical person. Skeptical, yes, but cynical, no. Yeah. Um, and there's many... Uh, personal finance correspondent and I quote the great Charlie Weston who's a regular on the show has been saying that for years if you just click through they've got a couple of bob on you yeah, I owned it definitely. I mean, like, it's something that we learned the hard way when we came back because, as I said, we got absolutely crucified the first year because we had no, no claims bonus built up in this country, or at least the one that we had when we were living here was, had, had run out. So um, every year we switch, basically. Or we, what we had to do every year was switch because the other thing is there's no reward for loyalty from the insurance company. You get punished you for stick, anything. Yeah, you get punished for, for loyalty. Exactly right. They just lump on ex, extra every year on their bracket, you know, the quote, quotes, loyal customers. But if you keep switching and shop around, they'll knock off and they'll knock off. And what I was doing um, was a bit cheeky, but I was ringing up insurance companies and saying, getting a quote and they were saying, well, you know, it'll be X. And I said, oh, well, I was on to another crowd. Now they, they offered me Y. Oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah, we can match that. We can match that. Like, can you do better? Okay, we can go 50 quid better. So every year we've had to move around and shop around um, and it, it really does reward. And also the other thing that I was talking to friends mine about this, brokers are worth going to as well. A good broker can save you a lot of money. Yeah, well, yeah. my missus uses a broker um, and every year at around the time, it's an online broker, and around the time that it comes for renewal, we get an email with three or four offers in it. Yeah. And you just take which one suits. Yeah. 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 It really is kind of important to start looking at that because you got the 300 off, but the next fellow might have just said, ah, oh, shag it, and clicked through. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, people are busy, you're in a hurry, and you yeah. don't want to go to all the hassle of going to, you know, different companies and all this coming. And even the kind of, the Irish insurance company, the Irish insurance market, and this is, it's, we paid, we got, we got a card in London that the last six months we were there because we needed one because we had a, where our daughter was born. And our first insurance was £250 sterling. And we had no, no claims bonus. We had nothing. But we had clean licenses. We were in our 40s, you know, uh, and we had actually English licenses. £250 sterling yeah. in yeah. London. Exactly. In, yeah. In London. Yeah. And that's where a car parked up. With no on. driving so, record. I mean, no. Yeah, which would like the license is fine. But the, the, the problem is, you know, again, a cynical person might suggest that the Irish insurance industry is licensed larceny, basically, that we are paying, as with most other services in, in, in Ireland, we're paying way, way, way over the European average for this. Now, maybe this is because they have to bring the insurance cover over on boats or something like that you know and there's extra transport costs involved Nonsense. you know it, it's yeah, we're getting gouged is what's happening to Slaughtered. us and if you and, and if you don't shop around if you don't keep your wits about you they will basically punish loyal customers who don't take the time to shop around or or, or at least ask questions no it is it is utterly ridiculous Joe the other it it and it never ceases to, to... Now, they did say... Oh, they, they have said over the years that the high premiums are down to yeah. high high payouts. But your yeah. payouts are the, way down because of the new yeah, payout rules. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a case that was the case in the past. Now, we also have a big problem in this country with 
a huge number of uninsured drivers on the roads. Massive. And, and again, I think it's something like one in 10 or one in 15 or something along those lines. But, but it is again, Joe, massive. And sorry, this then again, and this is not encouraging it. We would never endorse mm. anybody to do this. It's a crime yeah. to do it. So don't do yeah. it. But there are some people with, you can't afford insurance. If you make it more affordable, I guarantee you your number of uninsured drivers will fall down. Yeah. It's real competition in this country. We don't have a consumer protection agency. We don't have people fighting on our behalf. We don't have people examining monopolies and possible cartels and possible price fixing. And not, you know, these are in every sector you look at. There was a report, a Eurostat report last week that said we're paying on average 50% more than the, the European average for basically every it. service, for I mobile went, phones. I went, I for went through it here. I went through it here, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's And, you know, people are talking about all this week and last week, Ryan Turbley and all this kind of stuff. This is the, to me, this is the biggest story in Ireland. The European Union is saying to us, basically, you idiots are getting gouged every time you pay for something in your country. And it, it, the figures are there. Why aren't people, like, this is the stuff that people should be angry about, in, in my opinion. And do you know the other Not, great lie that they've started yeah. to use in the last few years? And I mean, everyone is using this now. Brexit. If they could blame the flipping weather on yeah. Brexit, they'd blame it. Yeah. How Brexit imp- impacts the Irish insurance company, I have no uh, sector. I have no idea. But they should. There's only a few companies, and we should be able to get our car insurance through Germany, through France, yes. through Italy, through yes. whoever. Yes. Whoever's going to give you a good deal. Real competition in this country, good, but you not see, what we've had for years. Joe, the, the the membership of the EU, and I remember. I remember the EU starting up and I remember being told how wonderful it would be when we had Maastricht and we had Lisbon and all these things. We would be able to avail of goods and services across the EU as EU citizens. And when Brexit happened and Amazon started dicking about with taxes and charges and getting caught at customs coming in, we were able to go straight to Germany where they had a German English language website and we bought from Amazon in Germany and happy days. We can buy yeah. we can buy from Amazon in Germany, but we can't buy our car insurance in Germany. Yeah, yeah. Or we can't buy our cars, you know, online yeah. car supermarkets. It's going to happen eventually. But again, we get you get the, the consumer protection you deserve. In, in my, if we don't vote for politicians who take it seriously, if we don't vote for politicians who say, in the, when we are in government, we will set up a an Irish consumer protection agency with real teeth that's going to aggressively go after the cartels, the price fixing, all of that kind of stuff. We're going to fight for consumers, not what we have in the moment, which is regulations that don't really matter, I'll count or do anything. Like in so many regulatory bodies in Ireland, it's basically, it's, it's the people who are working hard, paying their taxes, trying to get by, are being gouged left, right and centre. And and that should be the number one story in Ireland and not, in my opinion, who's getting paid what in RT because that, that will play out. That will, will play out. Right. What affects us every day is this. You're right, you're right. And Joe, you're right. And we all talked and we'll talk again. Thank you, Joe O'Shea of uh, Cork Bio. Um, we, we all talk with... It's been dominating every conversation for the last two weeks now, how much Ryan Tuberty was getting paid and how much everybody else is getting paid. But Joe is right. Ryan Tuberty's salary, or remuneration as it's correctly called, or Joe Duffy's, or Mary McCallaghan's, or anybody else's, 
actually makes damn all difference to you and me. Makes damn all difference to Joe when he got his car insurance renewal letter. It has gone up 300 quid after a perfectly driving claim-free year. Driving well, no penalty points, max maximum no claims bonus. It got up 300 euro. He rang up and they said, oh yeah, that's okay. We can, we can take that off. Hmm. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. Remember last week we had a most enlightening conversation with Louise uh, from Transpride. Uh, we were maybe 20 minutes on the phone to each other and we had a good as I said, very enlightening conversation uh, but very many issues to do with the trans community and they had a, their their march or their demonstration at the weekend down there by the library and a very big turnout for trans pride a few hundred people I'm given to understand which was great for, for a, a community that like would barely come outside the door a few years ago now they're there having a fabulous weekend in the city there was one group there which we wanted to talk to um, Mammies for Trans Rights. Karen Sugru, some lovely pictures. Morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Tell me about Mammies for Trans Rights. New one on me, I have to say. Well, um, first of all, to say a huge thank you to Saoirse and Louise for the, the founders of, of Trans Pride Cork because they put on, as you said, a fantastic event and we had just a wonderful day and Cork was so welcoming and so um, so full of, of life and colour. It was just a great day and it gave us all a great boost. So thank you to everybody involved. Um, so the Mammies um, are a group of, of Mammies, obviously, um, who are and allies who have, uh, a lot of us have trans kids, a lot of us have extended family who are in the trans community, um, friends, colleagues, and we have come together because, for a couple of reasons. First of all, we wanted to form um, a group that would allow us to talk about the experience of young trans people without focusing on anyone's individual um, child and keeping their safety and anonymity, obviously, to the fore. And there's a, lot, a number of reasons for that, um, which I, I'm certain that Louise went into, but the, the rise of violence um, against the trans community yes. and so on. Um, and it's also, we also joined together, um, you know, as a form of peer support. And so there's a, a number of reasons. What we're trying to do this, this Pride Month is we're trying to get to as many prides as we can. Um, so far, we're, we're signed up for five. Um, and we've two done. So, of course, we were in Dublin and then we were with you guys on Saturday, which was amazing. And we've got Limerick, Belfast, and we'll be back to Cork again for your, your Pride at the start of August. So we're having a most wonderful time and people are just being incredible. My obvious question, Karen, mm. is why did you feel it necessary to set up a group called Mammies for Trans Rights? I suppose we, I mean, there's there, obviously there's the fear. So there's a huge, you know, uh, every parent of a teenager is terrified all the time. <laughs> I think any parent would say yeah. that. Been there, done huge, that, thankfully yeah. out of it now. 
so you know exactly. So, you know, but, but we, I guess we have this, the added layer of terror as, as a par- any parent with an LGBTQI kid or family member have at the moment, particularly because of the rise of violence and hatred. You know, we're talking about 75% of the community have been verbally abused. One in five are hit or physically attacked in public. And when you're sending your kid out potentially um, to experience that. It, it, it's a terrifying experience. And a lot of us haven't wanted to speak about this because we, we didn't want to bring more attention onto anybody's individual kid. And that's why we've, we've come together. And every single time we, we march, we get an absolute tidal wave of parents contacting us afterwards. And it's so heartening. And we, we actually were in Belfast um, marching in the spring and we met some of the Northern Irish mammies. So actually we have several hundred mammies from between North and South in the group and we're giving each other huge support and and also we're very aware that when other p- parents see us, they feel reassured. So some parents mightn't be yet in the place where they want to even reach out to us, but they see us and they feel reassured and we get a huge response from, from kids and this is the bit now and I'm sure my, my voice will break when I say this, but we get a huge huge response from kids who come up to us and um, who very often just want to hug us uh, because of the fact that um, they might not get the support they're looking for at home. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, so it's, it's and it, it upsets us all and very often you'll see us walking, marching and, and we're in tears and very often it's because a kid has come up to us and said thank you and they've asked us for a hug and we've given them a hug. And because I they won't get a, one at home. Because they won't get one at home. And I suppose as a parent, but I'm a psychotherapist as well. And one of the things that I, I think that we need to do is have a very gentle conversation about parenting and what we're aiming to do as parents. And what we're really, and I mean parents in the broader sense of uh, society, what are we doing as, we're the adults in charge right now, PJ, and what are we saying to our kids that makes them so upset? that they feel reassured that all they, you know, if they see one of us wearing a T-shirt, it makes them cry. And that's why we've invoked the, the, the mammy, uh, the idea of the mammy, because the, the, as we all know, the Irish mammy is fiercely protective of her kids. And we want to send that message out that we are fiercely protective of all of our kids. And we also kind of want to start this conversation about what parenting should be. Because what parenting should be is to create a safe for our kids to be as they are and to love them and feel lucky to have them in our lives as they are. The one message you always try to give your children and I know I got it from my parents um, the one message you always try to give your children from from the moment they're old enough to understand there is nothing you can't bring home here. Nothing. That is exactly it. Absolutely nothing. Now you can understand I suppose why Karen, if a teenager is, and I, I'm going to use a term, and tell me, I've, I've read this term and I've, 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 I've come across some of the explanations as to why people use it, and you as a psychotherapist we maybe have an insight into it. I've read the term trans-curious, where kids may be 13, 14, 15, they're not exactly sure, but mm. they're giving it a go. And, 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 and mammies and daddies have to be okay with that. 
I, I suppose one of the biggest things is that we have to realise, as again, as, as the adults in charge of the world right now, every single generation of, of uh, coming up behind have challenged society as they saw it. That's their job. So right now, the area of challenge um, is, is around gender. And of course it is, because there's nothing more restrictive than gender norms and gender stereotypes. Nothing more... Um, difficult to manage in the world right now so they're we're being challenged as we should that is their job they are doing exactly what they should be the problem is with us the adults we're not doing what we should be and what we should be doing is sitting and listening and as in psychotherapy we're always told meet them where they're at and we have to meet our kids where they're at and they are asking really really important questions questions that currently we have no answer for as adults and what we're doing instead of sitting with that fear of having no answer, we are pushing it back on them. We are being aggressive and violent. And, and this is a really terrifying time to be a parent. It's a terrifying time to be a young person, but it's a really difficult time just to be in the world. And we don't give enough space to what has happened in COVID and post-COVID. People are angry and hurt and afraid, and no space and time has been given to that. Mm. And it's as it always has, it is manifesting in hatred and punching down to vulnerable groups. It's not punching up to government where it should be. We're identifying vulnerable groups and we're, we're punching down. So I suppose the mammies really just want to say to, to everybody, you know, our job is just to accept our kids as they are. We don't have to think about it bigger than that. Yeah. Um, and if we have a problem with that, then, then it's our problem, um, not their problem. And I'm sure you'll you'll agree as a parent, I, I don't know what age your kids are, but you'll agree as a parent that your relationship with them changes. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I always recall my, my daughter here. Like when my, do- my daughter's 25 and she's my best pal. Oh, and, we, and we go for points together and we go to matches oh, that's together. That's right? dream. Yeah. But, but when she was 15, we could yeah. barely stay in the same house. And, and, and again, that, that's exactly, that's parenting done right because you should never be friends with your child. Mm. You can be friends with your adult child, of course. Yeah. But when they're children, we can't be their friends. That's not that's not the gig. Mm. Uh, but, the gig but still, she could bring parent. anything home if she needed to. Oh, because you were the adult, because she knew she had a safe place to come in you, and that's how you develop a, a, a really good friendship with them as adults. But what we're not doing, a lot of us, is we're not able to create safe spaces for our kids because we're not able to do it for ourselves. Everything starts with ourselves. And this discomfort that we have with around gender and sexuality, that's our discomfort, not their discomfort. They, mm. they, this is, they don't even think about this um, between themselves and with each other. They're, but, but we do. And because we, we do, because we all grew up in a homophobic, um, deeply oppressive society, of course. As, as the brilliant Panty Bliss said, um, we're all a little homophobic and people who are only a little homophobic are the ones that are doing very well. And we have to acknowledge that. We all are carry a little homophobia because of the society in which we grow well, up. Well, I, I, I suggest you're probably a little bit younger than me, Karen. Um, I'm old enough to remember the time very clearly. The time, because I was in my, in my late 20s at the time. The time when it no longer it was no longer a crime to be gay, yeah. and I can remember at that point people that I worked with every day and counted as my friends were no longer criminals just for being yeah. there. So I remember what that was like. Yeah, 
and, and actually, I, I was 20. That was 1993, and I was 20, and I was in college in Cork at the time. So I remember it very, very well. And I think that we don't give enough space to, to realise how far Ireland has come in a very, very short period of time. Um, so everybody, every one of us, which is the adults in the world right now, who grew up at that time, grew up in a society in which it was a criminal offence to be gay. And 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 we we have we're still holding that. And I think that a lot of people after the, the twenty fifteen marriage equality referendum felt, Oh she look we've sorted now and we don't have it sorted. And again as a psychotherapist I would say one thing that concerns us greatly is the level of suicide suicidal ideation and self harm. Yeah among the LGBTQI community and that is because of homophobia. It's because of violence, it's because of hate speech, it's because of lack of safety and acceptance at home. So one of the things we have to do, we just have to validate them and say, kids just want to be told they're okay, that's why they come to us for hugs. They see the word mammy, they cry because we're telling them you're okay, you're absolutely fabulous and that's all we need to do. I think you're brilliant. I think you're brilliant too. <laughs> I think you're absolutely fantastic. It's lovely to talk to you. And you too. Thanks so much for having me on. Cheers. Karen Sugru from the Mammies for Trans Rights. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. It's time to nominate for the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. Best of Cork Awards. Best of all is now. From Best Beauty Salon to Breakfast. Best Barber to Gym. Hairdresser to Hotel. Best Business Instagram to Best Bar. And more. See 96FM.ie now to nominate. Then stay listening. Stay listening. Are you ready, ready for the light? The Best of Cork Awards 23. The Best of Cork Awards 23. You're the best. Only on Cork's 96FM. Been meaning to come to this for a couple of days, just been really busy. But again, over the weekend, if you were out and about doing anything from having a pint to getting a sandwich to buying a shirt or a pair of shoes, you might or might not have used cash. Uh, did I use cash? Or I did actually. I used cash on Saturday. Uh, I bought something for cash. Actually, don't. While I was down in, in Clonakilty, I bought a loaf of bread and a bottle of water for cash. Um, and that's the only time over the weekend I used cash. But I had the choice there. It, what happened was there was cash in the pocket of my shorts, and my wallet was out in the car. And I said, "Right, grab, grab them." Anyway, that's how it is. But are we moving towards? a cashless society. Uh, more and more now, you go into places and there are card-only signs on the wall. I think as Italy have done this where they are actually, they've made it law now, or they will make it law, that you have to accept cash up to a certain transaction. And we think that the Minister, Michael McGrath, might be thinking of something like that. There's been a review of the state's payments system uh, in the light of a lot of businesses refusing to accept cash. Um, there's a thought that the right to pay cash must be enshrined in law to protect us in the near future, to protect people like pensioners or to protect people who don't, who have, are on welfare, who don't have access to cards and stuff like that, to people who live in cash, if you like. And the Finance Minister is currently considering that report. Consumer journalist 
Sinead joins me. Um, Sh- uh, Sinead Ryan joins me. Sinead, are we looking at the point where the minister might just make law with regards to cash being taken in premises? Morning. Hello. Um, Well, this is part of an overall payment review from the Department of Finance. It's the first one in 10 years. And I mean, obviously, the financial landscape has moved on considerably in a decade. And the department clearly wants to secure the maintenance of cash. It is considered by the department to be very, very important for people to be allowed to transact any business in cash that they want. But increasingly, we're seeing in restaurants and and, uh, shops that uh, they're only accepting cards only. Uh, And this can be very, very annoying for people who are on either very low budgets and they're dealing in cash or indeed as many older people who still reserve um, the right to use cash and like to use it. And indeed children who may not have cards uh, and, and are sent to the shops to buy something or want to go in and spend their pocket money. So it is important that we allow that uh, to continue and the Minister now is looking at making this in legislation. So that, that'll be a big change if that happens. We recently had uh, the Marquee Festival here and it was entirely cashless for the first time. Now most people were comfortable enough with it although if the Wi-Fi goes down or something goes wrong, what's going to happen? Yes, a lot of festivals, and I was at one myself recently, uh, this is increasingly the case. Uh, Now, it's a security thing as much as anything else. They don't want people boosting around in boxes full of cash, especially if they're there for a few days. It kind of puts a halt to robberies and all that kind of thing. Uh, But it it can be annoying. Uh, And certainly if the Wi-Fi goes down, a lot of these festivals, as you know, PJ, they're held in fields. They're held, you know, in kind of uh, out of the way places. And it's not a guarantee uh, that the broadband will hold up. And there's nothing worse than having a queue of people to buy a pint or a book or whatever it is uh, and not being able to get to get that working. So, look, I think it's about a balance here. Lots and lots of us are happy using cards and tapping and contactless. But but that's not always the case. Your hmm. card can get nicked, it can get skimmed, it can get frozen uh, by choice or otherwise. You you have to have an alternative option. There's a thing as well about a small transaction. I don't know about you, Sinead, but if I pop into the coffee shop up the road from the radio station here, I, I feel a bit daft using my card or my phone for a coffee and a, and a, and a muffin. Is it not possible to say that for underneath a certain transaction, say for transactions less than 30 quid, 40 quid, that you have to be able to pay in cash? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I, I don't really see a problem with that. And if this legislation is enacted, that's exactly what it'll mean. Uh, and, I, and I think it's reasonable to do it. And, it. and it's not just kind of buying small items. Uh, I mean, if you want to put a few pence into... Uh, a charity uh, tin, hmm. for instance. I mean, goodness knows charities suffered enough during COVID. We weren't allowed to have tin rattlers outside shops, you know, or you want to leave a bit of a tip maybe for uh, a server uh, and you don't want that going, you know, you just want to leave it on the table and, and recognise somebody's hard work. I think we should be allowed uh, to do that. You mentioned premises that are going card only. It's a quick walk up Patrick Street. You'll find quite a number of those premises now. Should it be banned? I don't know that I, well, this legislation, if it is, if it does come in, we're not looking at any time soon, would seek to ban the practice of, of 
pushing people into cashless payments. I can understand businesses and especially small businesses where you've maybe only one person in the retail outlet and they're nervous maybe about having the till robbed or money taken off them or whatever. I can completely understand them looking for the ease of card payments. But I just wonder how they respond when a customer walks in and says, actually, do you know what? I don't have a card. I don't want to pay bank fees and I don't have a, have an account to do that. I just wonder what the response is. Do they turn them away or do they say, look, no problem at all. We have a till here. Don't worry about it. Hmm. We are inevitably heading towards cashlessness. Did you think it would happen as fast as it seems to have happened, Sinead? I think uh, COVID has certainly accelerated it because whatever resistance there was beforehand, uh, people used half and half and, you know, information from the central bank would show that lots and lots and lots of people still liked using cash all of the time or most of the time or some of the time. Uh, Once COVID hit and we weren't allowed to touch anything and money was deemed to be dirty to handle, you know, that certainly accelerated it. There are countries, uh, notably Denmark, uh, Belgium, who have decided almost to get to the the cashless stage now and have virtually done it. So I think it's probably inevitable. What I would uh, call for is that it's not inevitable just yet. This is only a review and it'll be very interesting to see what comes out of it. But I think we do need to give consumers of all sorts, all the choices that are available. I think that's just only fair. I've one acquaintance who refuses point blank to get a card and will buy nothing that he can't buy for cash. And I asked him about this one time and he said, look, PJ, he said, they're watching everything we do. They know what I'm buying. They know how I'm buying it. I want some privacy in my life. I'm not going to tell them what I'm doing every minute and hour of the day. Now, I thought he was over-egging that pudding a little bit. Is he? Look, if you if you buy in a supermarket and you have a loyalty card, uh, they already know exactly what you're buying. It's really hard to not exist at all, to kind of be completely off grid with these things. But I would also temper it by saying there isn't a bank of people sitting in front of cameras and computer screens watching your every move. I mean, you're talking about computers and algorithms doing this sort of thing. Like it or lump it, that's the way it's going. Um, So I can understand somebody saying, I don't want people watching me and I don't want people monitoring my transactions. The truth is they're monitoring in a macro way, you Mm. know. I mean, they don't have spies behind the counter or sitting outside in the street watching you go in and out of places. Like, I think that's a bit tinfoil hat territory. Uh, But certainly there's a huge amount of information that we voluntarily give away on social media, in stores, uh, to sign up for things, to get freebies off companies and organisations. A huge amount of information is traded um, for that. Uh, and, and you know, it, it goes back to the old adage, if you're not sure what the product is, you are the product. Uh, and, and I suppose it's, it's incumbent on us all to stay away from that stuff if you genuinely don't want it. But that means you can't have an email address, you can't have a Facebook account, you can't use Twitter, you can't, you know, so where do you stop with that? Indeed. Sinead, thanks for your time as always. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Sinead. Now, knowing we would be uh, talking to Sinead today, uh, Katie O'Keefe was meeting Finance Minister Michael McGrath over the weekend and I asked her to put a question to him about cashlessness and I asked him to ask her or to ask asked her to ask him, did he think that we were headed for cashlessness? 
We're not going to be a cashless society anytime soon. I think we have to strike the right balance here. And there are many people across society who use cash on a daily basis. We have to recognise that cash usage is falling. You know that that trend is clear. Um, but there are issues here around uh, inclusion, around ensuring that you know some older people, many of them are highly digital, digitally literate, but others prefer to use you know more traditional methods of payment such as cash and that has to be accommodated that has to be facilitated so there's nobody trying to uh, enforce change in anybody here so from my perspective as Minister for Finance it is about ensuring we strike that right balance so we're now undertaking uh, a couple of pieces of work which are interrelated one is the development of a new national payment strategy uh, which will examine um, the different forms of payment and how they should be accommodated and then the second one is around access to cash so I'm very conscious at the moment, you know, we have um, uh, declining access to cash. We've seen a lot of bank branches close. We have a lot of ATM machines that are uh, controlled by independent operators that are essentially not regulated at the moment. Um, the care and maintenance of those seems to be very patchy. That's my own observation. Very many of them are, are just not working a lot of the time. And that's not good enough. They need to be regulated and they need to be maintained to a certain standard. So we are going to bring in uh, rules here through legislation about ensuring that there is an adequate system of access to cash and that people will be allowed to use cash as appropriate. There will be difficult decisions to make around policy in that area, but for me it is about ensuring fairness and proportionality and that for many people cash still plays a really important role in, in their day-to-day lives and you know it is legal currency and that should be adopted in the decisions that we make. Let's throw it out as a question. That's Michael McGrath, Minister of Finance, speaking to Katie O'Keefe for the weekend. Let us throw it out as a, a question this Monday morning and see what you think. Should you have the right under the law to pay in cash if you want to, up to a certain limit? We'll say 50 quid, maybe even 100. That you're doing something in a shop or a cafe or wherever you happen to be and a small transaction... Should it be the the law that you have to be allowed to pay in cash up to a, say up to a certain limit? Your thoughts on this, and we'll and we'll give them out to you after news. Yeah, oh, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Do you want the right under the law to pay for cash for something? Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox ninety six FM. Wake up in the morning. Lorraine and Ross in the morning starts July seventeenth. Test drive the award-winning Skoda Enyaq electric SUV at No DC Cars, Skoda Sales Dealer of the Year. Corks 96 FM. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email Views regarding cash. We'll do them later in the hour. Just chatting there before the news with Sinead Ryan and hearing from the Minister for Finance. Would you like or do you think 
the right to pay in cash should be enshrined in law. Like, you might not use cash at all. There are people I know who don't use cash at all, who wouldn't know a 20 spot from a 50. Mostly younger people, because they've grown up in in the cashless world, and, and cash means nothing to them. Like, when I go on holidays in a couple of weeks, yes, I'll have money loaded onto my card, but I'll also have a bundle of cash with me, because I like cash. But do you think that cash, it should be enshrined in law, that you have the right up to a certain level at least to pay in cash and that you're going to a shop and buy a short and tie or a pair of jeans or a cup of coffee and an orphan or flowers for your mammy whatever it might be or you go to the garage and you get petrol or whatever that you should have the right to pay in cash and that no one can open a business as one firm that I won't name because I'd end up in trouble recently very high profile a company that opened global company that opened on Patrick Street um, a cashless shop from day one I don't like that I do not like that um, should you have the right to pay in cash legal right to pay in cash up to a certain level I'll let that sit with you for a while the Minister of Finance says we're not heading towards that and certainly giving an idea that he might think of legislating do you, do you want him to? 0818969696, the number, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696, and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Remember, if you're going on holidays in the next couple of days, take us with you. You don't have to leave us at home. If you have uh, the app on your phone, you can listen to us anywhere in the world. If you take your Alexa away with you or your Google speaker or whatever you have, if you take them away and set them up on the Wi-Fi on holiday, you can listen to us in the apartment, as I know loads of people do. And if you have anything that you want to get involved in, if you have any conversation that you want to get stuck into while you're away, remember a voice message on WhatsApp is free from no matter where you are in the world. 083 396 96 96. Okay, um, I don't know about you, but I never managed to get one of these certificates of merit in school. Although my mother would probably correct me and say I did when I was about nine. But you know these certificate of merit in school that you get for a year of attendance and a full year of attendance and two years of attendance and three years of attendance? One young lad I know has gone through his entire primary school career having never missed a day. And he's extremely proud of it. And so much so that if he woke up with a cough or a cold of a morning now, he'd demand to go in because he doesn't want to break his attendance. Chrissy Russell is a freelance journalist, been writing about this in The Independent. Chrissy, is it time to do away with these certificates? They're around since I was a child, and that ain't yesterday. And they were around before that, and they're still around. Is it time to do away with them? Good morning. Good morning. No, same as you. I don't think I ever managed to get one, although I'm sure my mommy will, will be on as well. But I'm, I'm sort of stunned by them, though. Do you know what I mean? That wee lad you're talking about, forget giving him a prize. I think he needs to be studied by science. Like, how is he doing it? What's his immune system made of that he's managed to I get? I know him school? well. He's just, he's, I, I know the lad very well. He's tough as nails. <laughs> 
Well, sure. Is that not reward in itself? Do you know what I mean? He doesn't need a wee certificate. Yeah. He's obviously doing well, better than the rest of us. Yeah. But uh, I suppose it's that one there. Yeah, he'll struggle in with the cough and cold. And then who all does he take down with him? All the wee kids with the not so hardy immune systems then are off for ages. I, I don't know. I, do, I suppose what I find strange about them is I don't quite understand what they're rewarding. Do you know what I mean? If you get sick, you should stay off. You know, if you're not sick, go in. There's no, there's no kind of yeah, anything more to it than mm. that. There's no skill involved. If you take, if you take this, this business, one person arrives onto this top floor with a dodgy throat, and before you know it, half the broadcast crew are coughing and spluttering. If you're coughing and spluttering, stay at home. Exactly. And, and I say that, but I know I've also been the person that has brought themselves in when they are coughing and spluttering and has spread it around. So I think it depends a lot on what support, you know, once you get into into the work environment, I think, you know, there should be a lot more kind of support for you if you are sick rather than the get yourself yeah, in here and do the job mentality that sometimes goes on. Are you <laughs> suggesting, Chrissy, that maybe these attendance records in school are setting people up to have a certain attitude in the workplace that might not be the best thing for them. See, that's what I think it is. I think it's that message starts early in school with those awards where it's saying, you know, you soldier on, you keep going and you push through and you turn up no matter what. And I'm honestly not convinced that that actually is the healthiest message to teach kids to take into life later on. Because actually, I think maybe we need to champion saying, do you know what? I can't today. I need to take a day off. It's going to be better for me. It's actually going to be better for everyone. Mm. And I kind of think that message needs to be driven home a wee bit more. You used two words that I've not heard before in, in your piece in The Independent. Mm-hmm. One is presenteeism and the other is mm-hmm. leaveism. Now, leaveism, mm-hmm. I've actually spoken this morning to a doctor who had to indulge in it because he'd no choice. But start with presenteeism. Explain that to me. Well, presenteeism is this idea of, yes, not only showing up, but kind of going above and beyond. So, yes, you, you're in your your work mind, you're, you're in your office, you're in your job, no matter what, and you're there a bit later and you're there a bit earlier. And there's kind of this, oh, I guess, this premium put on being there that, you know, showing up is the, is the biggest thing and showing up and staying there. So, yes, it's this mentality of I must be in work. I must be the person who works longer works harder uh, and that's what's valued. Mm. You're, although that is the person that we would think is reliable, dependable you can say John or Mary, they will always deliver, always deliver. Well, that's seen as a good thing. Possibly, but then you also have to look at rates of burnout. Do you know I mean, if you're never actually taking your foot off the, the gas and leaveism comes into this as well, this is when you're still fielding work calls, emails, everything, even whenever you're supposed to be off on holiday, you're not really off. You're still doing bits. So you never actually take the time off. And I think we need that. I think you need to put your out of office on. You need to step back. You need to say, do you know what? The work will still be there or, you know, they'll get on fine without me. I think this idea is driven home to us that, you know, it's so important, your work. And the amount of people I know who, you know, later in life, maybe have had some illness or something and suddenly realise that, you know what, actually, all the work goes on without you, but, you know, mm. the important stuff is your health and your home. And that's the kind of thing that, I, you know, you really need to kind of prioritise. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm finishing up here for holidays on the, on the 21st. And I'll be gone until the 8th, the evening of the 8th of August. And, yeah, the crew might send me a couple of texts while I'm away kind of thing, just give me a heads up on something that might come up. 
But other than that, mm. it'll be something very urgent. Other than that, I'm done. I'm gone. I'm off the grid for two weeks. I, f- <laughs> I think people struggle with that, though. I think so. I don't know if it's because so much of our identity is often tied up with our jobs, where we like to think that we're so very important and and urgent and necessary that they can't do without us when we're away. But I think historically, most jobs, you know, it ends up being proved that everyone manages just fine. And there's actually more merit in saying no, do you know what? Particularly, actually, if you are very important and and you do step back and suddenly they realise just how important you mm-hmm. are when mm-hmm. once they miss you. I just, do you know, what I was watching, I suppose, there at Glastonbury whenever Lewis Capaldi obviously went up and did his, yeah. his set, and it was oh, very, like, it was all. My goodness, like it was very emotional. And yeah, do you know what I mean? It was like a lovely moment where they're helping him through. But I was also thinking, well, there was a man who had taken time off, who then said he needs more time off. And I just wondered, did he feel, you know, this pressure to turn up and be there and do that? Sure he did. People were counting on him. Whenever his own personal needs quite possibly would have been better met by saying, no, I'm not able. Um, And I just think we need to empower people more to say that, to say, no, I can't. Come back to the ordinary workplace scenario, though, Chrissy. And I know there are people who will call and say to me, look, PJ, it's all very well to talk about if you're not feeling well, stay at home. But if I don't work, I don't get paid. If I don't get paid, Mm. I can't put food in the larder. I can't pay my electricity bill. There are so many jobs out there where sickness is not written into it. In other words, you you won't get paid if you don't work. And if you're on on a low income, that's tough, you know? Mm. Exactly. And I think, I mean, that's why these surveys, any of the ones I looked at, I mean, it was everything from sort of 50% up to 75% of workers said they did go into work when they were sick. And most of the time it was because of that, you know, that that they would not get paid otherwise. Uh, although guilt did come into a lot of it as well, which was interesting. But I do think that's something that just needs to be addressed where there are greater supports there for people who are ill. Because again, actually, another interesting one I'd looked at was a, a report in um, the New York Times last month where they'd looked into food safety and the amount of uh, like food workers, workers working in takeaways and restaurants who had come in when ill and then they were able to sort of trace that to the amount of then sort of food poisoning cases and things like that then that had come out of that. And, mm. and you're really like, do you know what, This it doesn't benefit anyone in the long run if you would just support staff in taking time off You'd avoid a lot of other knock-on mm. problems. Which brings us right back to the attendance certificates, which you say or suggest in your pieces. Is it a system that suggests that having to take time off school is a negative? Is it time to do away with these certs? Well, that's what I think, because I mean, I know it's 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 a hard one because I, I've been on Facebook and I do have you know, people on there where they're, they're got the kids, you know, beaming, holding their certificates up. And you sort of feel odd, like, do you know what I mean? They're proud of that. And it's lovely that they are proud of that. But I can't help but think of kind of the kids sitting there, you know, like like some of the ones in my, my son's class who have awful asthma and, you know, have been off a lot during the year. How does that make them feel when they're like, oh, if I hadn't got this sickness, I maybe would be getting one of those. Or I know my, my youngest, he has additional needs and he really he struggles with sleep. And, you know, there's been times certainly Certainly, I've phoned the school up and been like, look, I'm sorry, there's just no point sending them in today. 
And I, I just feel, oh, do you know what I mean? Life's hard enough whenever you've got maybe, uh, you know, a chronic illness or you've, you've got that disadvantage anyway without being made to feel like you're lesser whenever the healthy ones are, are awarded for it. Yeah, you're asthmatic. You know, a child with childhood asthma, wintertime, the slightest thing. In fact, they can't risk going in. So if someone is in well, school it, yeah. coughing and spluttering, they can't go in. Because, you know, they'll pick something up and they'll be in much more trouble than the kid who just has the, has a snotty nose for a few days. I just I think there could be better awards. Do you know what I mean? I think that's maybe it. Do you know what I mean? Maybe look at oh, you know, the kid that pushed through that didn't really like school that much, but still made it in. You know, when they student didn't of the year, it or, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, most or you know, most, you most improved maths the, student or yeah. something. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, you can still have the wee trophies. You can still do the presentations, but maybe just I think this it it, it classifies it too much that being healthy is mm. is something you have a choice over, and it just isn't. Chrissy, thank you very much. Chrissy Russell, freelance journalist, writing that in the Irish Independent. Doing away with, her idea is, is it time to do away with these attendance certificates at school and medals? Some schools do medals. Is it time to do away with them? Because they're not fair. First of all, they're not fair on the little kid who isn't in the best of health and can't do a full day in, or a full year in school without a day or two off. Is it unfair on that kid? Is it also unfair to the kid who might have a weaker immune system that your child comes in with a snotty nose because they can hack it, but the little kid sitting two rows behind them because they've got a weak immune system might not be able to hack it. But then bring it on into work life. Do you become the person that is always there to the point where they burn themselves out, won't take time off, work more hours than is necessary, they're never off. You wonder, do they have an off switch? We all know people like that. Um, and is that a good thing? Work-life balance. It's become so important in the last number of years. I think COVID taught us about the importance of work-life balance. Is it time to do away with these attendance certs in school? Over to you. 0818 On cash, and we're going through your thoughts on a possible cashless society and bringing in a law, which it sounds to me like Minister Michael McGrath, and I might play it again in a minute. Minister Michael McGrath is certainly thinking along those lines that if the right to use cash has to be protected in law, he'll protect it in law. Sean in Lepp says people should have the choice if they wish. They should have a card counter and a cash counter. Do not cut out cash. That's Sean. Kevin says it's pointless putting a limit. I mean, say 50 quid or... It's pointless. The reason businesses don't want it, in my opinion anyway, is down to cost. Cost of processing, security, etc. So any amount brings the cost up. So there's no point to putting a limit on it. By the way, Italy did it for populist reasons, nothing more. I don't care why Italy did it, Kevin, with all due respect. And I know, I, I, I get what you're saying. And yes, Maloney, isn't it there, Gaffer over there now? It's quite a popular... I don't care. I thought it was a brilliant thing they did. I really did. If necessary, to protect a person's right to use cash, they did it in law. Should have the right to pay, says Betty. 100% yes, says Nicola. Yes, PJ, I think the right to pay in cash should be protected, says Cleana. Cash is king, say no to plastic. I need to buy a phone and I can't, says Patrick. Yeah, is there anywhere a person... Here's just a question. I don't know 
Patrick, you're the second person I've heard who's come across with this. Is there anywhere in Cork at the moment where a person can buy a phone for cash? An actual mobile phone for cash? Uh, I'm not about new or second hand for cash. Because I've seen a couple of people complaining about it now. Tony says cash is legal tender. There should be a list of premises that are refusing to take cash and they should be boycotted. Not so sure about boycotting, Tony. But what you can choose to do is you yourself can choose. Well, I'm not going in there because they don't take they don't take cash. I used to be very, very, very anti-card only myself. Um, I still don't like it. Like, the marquee was card only this year, uh, which was a particular problem for the Tommy Tiernan concert because if you do your trading or do your buying through your phone, your phone was in this little flipping bag. <laughs> you couldn't use it. You had to actually have a card, which made it more complicated again. But the marquee was cashless this year and it seems to have gone pretty well for them. And I know that Electric Picnic would be completely cashless. Was Musgrave Park cashless? I don't know whether it was or not. James says, I think everyone should have the right to pay cash if they want, and especially if they have to. Yeah, I mean, you think of people who go to a post office, like pensioners who go to a post office on a Friday and get their pension. They get their pension in cash. My mom loves to have her pension in cash. And I said, well, why don't you lob it into the bank and use a card? No, 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 I'd rather have my pension in cash. Your thoughts on that? It sounds like Michael, Michael McGrath might be of a mind to protect the, law, the, the the right to pay in cash. Mm. Richard, what you might could you do me a favor, Richard? Could you go, grab that little piece of audio I played and just get the bit out about it where, where he might enshrine it in law? There's a sense there towards the end of it that he might. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six on school attendance. Child went to school with my daughter. Uh, never missed a day. Saw her almost crawling in some days. <laughs> there was more viruses falling out of her than the COVID. <laughs> yes, Mick, I know. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing. Focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 the Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96FM.ie. Cork Bio have stuck up a story here from yesterday morning. I didn't know anything about this until now. A, a trawler big, huge Spanish trawler called the Nuevo San Juan took fire just off the southwest. There was 15 sailors rescued from it. It was out of a Spanish port of Burela. Sent a distress call. This is according to Spanish media, which has now been picked up here. Uh, the Marine Rescue Centre in Finister in Spain relayed a mayday and put patrol vessels on alert. There was another trawler nearby the Nuevo Conferco, and they were able to help. Uh, the rescue boat then set out from Castletown Bear, and the sailors were landed there this morning at 7 o'clock 
after a 22-hour trip. My God, this is a big story. Uh, Bio have just broken it this morning with an astonishing photograph of this fire on board this massive trawler. Uh, presumably, it was t- the picture was taken from the other one that came to its rescue, the Nueva. The Nueva Conferco. Wowee! I mean, that must have been terrifying. There's a crew of 15 on that. I remember going on a school trip years ago where we went on a ferry and we were all given a very stern lecture uh, about the dangers of fire on a boat. And the guy who was telling us about it and lecturing, he said, you, you've you never seen, hands up anyone who's ever seen a fire on a boat. And of course, no hand went up in the class, about 12 of us. He said, yeah, he said, there's a reason, there's two reasons for that, why your hands have never gone up. First one is, people who see a fire on a boat rarely see a second one. I goes, okay, fine. And the other one is you don't want to see one. And that's a terrifying photograph of the Nuevo San Juan. This was 22 hours journey off the coast. So let me get this right. The fire broke out on this Spanish trawler off our coast. They relayed a Mayday message back to Spanish control, but they were too far from Spain, obviously. Spanish control then put out the the alert more broadly and the rescue boat from Castletown Bear got out there and brought them back in wow 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 oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six that's a brilliant story and fair play to everyone involved in that rescue you'll hear more about it Cork Bio broke that story this morning oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six now we got a new bank holiday this year or a new public holiday this year, uh, the first Monday in February. And it will be thus forevermore. The first Monday in February is to be a bank holiday uh, in honour of St. Bridget. And in fact, the first Monday in February 2024 is the 5th of February 2024. That will be a bank holiday. There is talk of another one. We now have 10, which puts us somewhat short of the average in other countries. Could we do with another one? Would we like it? We don't have We've got... So we've got... When have we got them? Catherine Flanagan is CEO of the Association of Visitor Experiences and Attractions and reckons we could do it with, with a couple more, Catherine. Morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Lovely to be speaking to you and, and all your listeners on 96FM today. And to you indeed. Um, so we, we now have New Year's Day, February... Mm-hmm. St. Patrick's Day, Easter, May, June, August, October, and that's it. Uh, that's it, apart from uh, Christmas, Christmas Day yeah. and St. Stephen's Day, I guess. Yeah. yeah, so where would we fit in another one? Well, I suppose I, I personally find the stretch between August and October a very long one. You and me uh, both. And, any, and anybody who has, uh, who has children of school-going age often find that a, a particularly long stretch, that nine weeks from the start of September right to the end of October. So I suppose if I had my way, I'd be saying, could we have an extra bank holiday at the end of September? And not mm. just for personal needs, but just um, just from a, a tourism and hospitality point of view, uh, it's a, it's always a huge boost to our sector to see a bit more activity, a little mm. bit more spend and a little bit uh, more free time for people to enjoy themselves. Well, if you take a typical uh, long weekend, mm-hmm. we would go away 
certainly in the summer ones, we'd go off on, on, on a Sunday, we'd go, you know, go somewhere, wander around West Cork, and then because there's no rush home, yeah. and because there's no deadlines for the morning, you'll go and you'll have a bite to eat, and the missus likes to drive, so I'll have a pint. And, you know, you might, you might even stay a couple of hours if there's a bit of music starting, you know. Absolutely. You're spending a couple of more. So compare us to our EU counterparts. Where do we stand? We stand a little bit below the EU average. Um, believe it or not, uh, the EU average is 12.8 days across the, the, the 25 nations. Um, so while we moved up from 9 to 10, which was a big bonus, um, you know, it would be great to just see an extra bit of leisure time uh, tacked on to another weekend, maybe towards the latter half of the year. Yeah. Now, straight away, you'll have businesses rising up in arms and going, hang on, bank holidays, can't get staff, have to pay them more. Do you mean tourism and hospitality? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. I mean, certainly it's a driver of demand, though not in all locations. I was just speaking to somebody who's a, a vintner here in Dublin, um, and of course, often on a bank holiday weekend, the, the, the Dublin businesses would see an exodus as people take the opportunity to travel to places like beautiful West Cork or Westport or Galway or wherever around the country. So often it's the regions that, that get the benefit. Um, and certainly there's an element of having to, uh, you know, roster staff for extra hours. But, you know, that's a good thing at the end of September. Everybody needs that extra little bit of cash flow coming into the winter months. And people are often glad of the extra hours. How are our politicians d- disposed to this? I know that the idea, first of all, it became a reward for all our sacrifices during COVID. And then mm-hmm. someone came up with the idea of, listen, let's have a, a holiday to celebrate St. Bridget. So now we have, we have February. Do, do we have a handy saint in September that we can throw a day on? Well, I'm not sure if there's a Saint PJ yet, but, uh, but you could be the first one. I won't, it won't be me. But <laughs> well, it could be a secular holiday either. Um, yeah. You know, it is obviously an economic driver. Um, you know, I mean, like you say yourself, we, we used to talk about the Sunday fear when the Glenroe music would come on. Mm. Whereas if you push that out an extra 24 hours, you do get that sense of relaxation. You know, you get that just sort of an extra bit of wind down time. Um, we would often find as well that you know, on any regular weekend, you know, visitor attractions and experiences, you're competing for leisure and recreation time. Families are busy, whether they have sports commitments or extracurricular activities or mm. just, you know, the weekends seem short if you've just got two days to get everything done. That extra day really makes a monumental difference in terms of people's outset, uh, outlook, their mindset, um, and also how they choose to spend their money and how they really, you know, celebrate and mark that, uh, that recreation time. It's a bonus and people do tend to use it pretty widely. I have an idea for September, actually. Um, Go on. Are you aware of the existence of the equinox? I am, yeah, yeah. in and around the 21st. I don't, no, I, I don't mean the Bob Marley album, no, from about no. 40 years ago. No, I mean, yes, the equinox. It's it's around the middle of September. It's when the nighttime and the daytime are exactly the same length. Wouldn't yeah. that be a nice weekend? It's kind of the last weekend before the weather starts to go downhill. It is. Um, that, that would be a lovely time, I guess. Maybe a little close to the, the, the start of the school year. Um, yeah. You know, maybe that last maybe bring it to the September. end of September. Yeah, That's yeah. the one I'm hanging my hat on now. Um, now, in terms of, you mentioned there a little while ago, what's the, what's the political warmth towards this? Um, you know, this is, you know, it's a time when a lot of businesses start looking at Budget 24, you know, before the, uh, the, the Cabinet takes its summer break. And um, so it's a good time to start uh, considering these things and just doing the 
doing the sums to see if there would be a benefit to it. Yeah. I think also one of the things that people really uh, noticed and experienced and reported on from the COVID uh, time was just how valuable our leisure and recreation time is and how important it is um, in terms of having a balance between you know, how you spend your downtime, um, you know, how you like have particularly stronger boundaries now in terms of your work-life balance. These things are all very important. And I think mm. uh, having an extra bank holiday kind of recognises that mm. uh, from, from a national perspective as it's, well, that your free time is important for everybody's, um, everybody's balance. There's life. a lot more people as well sampling or trying or experimenting with a four-day working week. I know in the UK there's Mm -hmm. a fierce pushback against it. I've been hearing a lot of phone-ins over the weekend and last couple of days pushing back against it. But I know people here who are doing a four-day week and they'd never look back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I haven't experienced that personally myself, but I mean, it seems to make sense. Um, You know, I mean, we have a very high level of productivity in Ireland in terms of our GDP. Um, we'd be like an absolute leader in terms of productivity. So, you know, we, we're a hard-working workforce. Um, I think we work more hours than the EU average as well. So, you know, a little bit of downtime would do us no harm, I guess. Indeed, it wouldn't. Thank you, Catherine. Catherine Flanagan, Chief Exec of the Association of Visitor Experiences and Attractions. Another holiday in the year. So, to go through, we've Christmas and New Year. There's a bunch of them together. And then we now have the first one in February. We have... Uh, Paddy's Day is a holiday anyway, and if it falls on a weekend, then the Monday is a holiday. We have Easter, Easter Monday. We have May, the first Monday in May, the June weekend, the August weekend, and then you have nothing until the Jazz weekend. It'll never be the October weekend in Cork, the Jazz weekend, and then Christmas again. The Jazz weekend is nice and handy. It's about six weeks or seven weeks before Christmas, for the big Christmas break. So there, maybe, middle of September, middle, end of September. We call it the Equinox break. (laughs) Yeah, autumn weekend, autumn weekend, the autumn holiday. Would you like that? I'd love that. I've been taking a a longer weekend in autumn or in September here for a couple of years now. And it really breaks up that, that few weeks, that long arse between sort of the 8th or 9th of August when you come back. And the run-in, like, if it wasn't for that, you'd be going from early August after the holidays are finished. You'd be going from early August until the back end of October. God almighty, you'd be run ragged by the end of the end. Would you like another holiday? I know businesses will go, no, but would you like another public holiday? We're less than our European counterparts. Thanks for that, Catherine. On the cashless society, Kevin asks, didn't you have a restaurant owner on explaining his reason for going cashless. Yes, that was the chap from the barn and he he gave his reasons and there was a lot to be said for it. Um, I didn't agree with him 100% but there was an amount to be said. Maybe people would pay more for the privilege because I remember him saying he would charge more for cash paying customers if we're all about choice. Well, here's the thing. Thanks for that, Kevin. There's another one just to add to this cashless idea, right? We take a restaurant. So you go in and you have dinner in a restaurant and the restaurant is cashless or if you want to pay in cash it's an additional euro or an additional 1% on the bill or half of 1% on the bill to cover costs would you do that? would you be up for that? 
Shiona says cash is legal tender. I will not be dictated by this government or by businesses to use card only. Well, Shiona, just thanks for this, Richard. The minister would appear to be somewhere on your side. So we are going to bring in uh, rules here through legislation about ensuring that there is an adequate system of access to cash and that people will be allowed to use cash as appropriate. That certainly seems to be like Minister McGrath thinking of it. Let's listen again. So we are going to bring in uh, rules here through legislation about ensuring that there is an adequate system of access to cash and that people will be allowed to use cash as appropriate. I think that's one that a lot of us would agree with. Find me someone who doesn't. If anybody doesn't agree with the idea that you'd have to take cash for certain transactions then let me know. Are you a business? I'm thinking in terms of the chap at the barn. Is it Paul was his name? I know he made a very good argument for just being cashless. But is there anybody who is cashless now in any kind of a business and would would not want to um, would not want to take cash? Tell me why. Like that song. Actually, talking to Mel earlier on this morning, Mel McCarthy, and where I met Mel years ago was on the karaoke circuit, and we used to have a little fun. She'd do a song or two when I was doing karaoke night. Um, but it's great songs like that, All of Me, that get absolutely destroyed on karaoke. And yet they're the ones that people want to sing all the time. I can remember when that was out. <laughs> I was on holidays and you know the way it happens. You go into an Irish bar at 11 o'clock at night for one. Yeah, right, one. And you're sitting there and the karaoke is starting and you're going, oh God almighty. And all of me four or five times and each time is getting worse. You know, they get mangled. <laughs> There's probably a feature in that some morning for stuff that gets mangled in the karaoke around the world because we've all heard it you know you know you have heard it karaoke songs getting mangled all of me is one of them one moment in time the Whitney Houston song that's another one that gets crucified on the karaoke can you think of another one for me it was for humour we have a oh my goodness me Oh my goodness me, we have a story breaking from Spain involving an Irish tourist. I'll come to it next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. Yeah, as well as all the topics of conversation in the day, we're bringing the breaking news as it happens. Here's a story from Salou. Loads of Cork people in Salou at any one time of... July, so maybe someone knows what happened here or is in or around the same place. Police have confirmed that they have arrested a 30-year-old man at a hotel in the resort of Salou. Uh, he, an Irish tourist arrested on suspicion of murder. The woman believed to be his partner, strangled at a hotel in Salou. This is just breaking through the Sunday World website. Uh, her killer was discovered beside her with a self-inflicted wrist wound and taken to hospital for treatment. He's there now under police guard, under arrest. 
it's believed the woman who's 36 was strangled with a cord of some kind. The couple are believed to be from Dublin. That hasn't been confirmed. But they were sharing a room. They were believed to be partners. You'll hear more about that story from Salou, Irish tourist under arrest in Salou and another woman's death being investigated. We understand it to be his his partner. We were hoping to catch up with Katie O'Keefe from the newsroom about a few things happened over the weekend, but she's been called into a, a court appearance, um, which I take it is the one, uh, the follow-up on a crash in McCurtain Street in Formoy Saturday night. A man was due in court this morning in connection with that crash. man in his 20s taken to hospital with serious injuries and then he died yesterday. Uh, a male driver in his 30s arrested at the scene has since been charged Gardaí appealing for witnesses at Fermoy Station. And then there was that other tragedy that happened in the early hours of Saturday. This was uh, the M8 at Ballybeg near Mitchellstone, right there on the motorway about one in the morning. Now there's a passenger was killed. He's been named. Is it as Johnny? Is it Johnny Foley? Is the name comes to mind? He's from Spur Hill. Um, he he died. The driver of the car is another teenage boy, and three other passengers taken to Cork University Hospital. Once others of who was in the car have since, I believe, been transferred to Dublin for treatment. The driver of the other car, woman in her thirties also hospitalised with serious injuries. She's from Glenmire and was on her way to Dublin Airport, Gardaí in Mitchellstown, appealing for witnesses. Yeah, one young lad dead and another young lad in very serious condition having been uh, transferred to Dublin for treatment. And then I was remarking earlier on of a gorgeous photograph um, which was on Cork Bio of the harbour in Cape Clear. This was... It's a stunning photograph, whoever took it. It's taken from where I think is up there around Club Clara, if you know the area, up the hill. Super photograph of the harbour. But such a tragedy to visit Cape Clear. We heard about this ourselves at home late Saturday night because friends of the Queen Bee were there for the weekend and they were contacting us late last night or late on Saturday night to tell us about this. A man in his 40s died following a tragic accident on Cape Clear. Um... He was playing football with his kids and their ball went over the edge of the cliff and he knew his way down, so he said he'd walk down to the foot of the cliffs to get the ball. He didn't come back and then the alarm was raised and search and rescue operation carried out. Coast Guard helicopter and you know the rest, Baltimore lifeboat and his body was subsequently found and he was brought to the station in Baltimore and then pronounced dead, etc., etc. Post-mortem to be carried out at Cork University Hospital today, filed to be prepared for the coroner's court. Death being treated as a tragic accident. It was the second drowning tragedy um, in a week. You remember last weekend, Joanna Wisniewska died after she went into the sea down in East Cork, and more seems to have emerged about what happened to her. Her funeral was taking place back in Poland, she, the little lad went in for, for a swim and got into some kind of difficulty. She got in from people that I know down the general area. She was quite a strong swimmer. She got in, 
managed to get to the little boy, managed to push him up onto rocks. He clambered up onto the rocks and got himself to safety. But whatever happened to her, she either ran out of energy or something happened to her and she was unconscious and ah, such awful, awful, awful tragedy. 0818-969696 On an extra bank holiday or whatever Mary says, I don't know I don't know, she she What's happening in Ireland People get enough holidays Realistically, kids are losing out With all these holidays I have family in primary, secondary and third level And they need more time It seems to be I want, I want, I want Oh God You see, I Statistically, Mary, we have the longest summer holidays or among the longest summer school holidays in years, in Europe rather, and yes, you're giving out that we give another weekend off. 0818969696. Oh, take your point. Yeah, take your point. Where are we going? Ah, yes, we're doing this. Um, Once ever I was in this bar and unfortunately, Mary, you weren't singing that nice. I don't even know if you were there. Um, but you're selling the place. Um, your, your beautiful singing voice will not go with it, unfortunately, down at the Bayview Inn. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, once ever I was there. I had a point there many years ago, um, just passing through. But you're selling, and you've been there for... How long are you there now? 20 years. 20 years. 20. And you're a Glaswegian, so how did a Glaswegian come to have a pub in West Cork? Well, I I was living in England, and I met my husband there, and he's from uh, Kilcrahan. I see, Kilcrahan, yeah, down there near Bantry, great part, great part of the country. Yeah. And the singing thing—that just you've always you've always been a singer. Yeah. Yeah, and you just started just started singing in the pub. No, I've always sang. If there's a if there's a bit of a gang, and we'll always have a bit of a coolie in that, you know. Right. Right, but you got a kind of a reputation for it. That you could be in the pub. You could be in the pub at night, and, and the landlady will will burst into a rendition of Crazy or something. Do you know? Oh, you never know. You never know. With a Glasgow girl, you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> Listen, that's for you to say and for me to. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the truth, though. Yeah, yeah. You're you're from you're from the shipbuilding. Yeah, I'm from a, a place called Govan. And it's where the shipboat is, Harland and Wolf were there. Yeah. And my father was a hole boarder, like boring the holes in the ship's like. Right. right. You know, and um, that was it, really. And my mother worked for um, a catering company. Yeah. We used to do the catering for Ibrox Park. Mm, oh, right. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Do you know, and then you came, you met your husband and came to West, came to West Cork and, and you settled, you settled there. Um, so, why have you decided to, to sell the Bayview now? Because I think it's time for me now to slow down. <laughs> you know, because I think, I think requires and, you know, and I just think it's time for me to take charge of my own self. Yeah, yeah. So... So the days are giving us giving us a pint and a sandwich and a song. <laughs> They're gone. <laughs> well, it depends if I sell it. <laughs> ah, you will, let's say. But you see, well, what'll, do you know what will happen? Is you'll sell it and then the new owner will be wise and say, Mary, would you come in for Friday and sing a few tunes? 
I, I don't mind that at all. As long as I'm not serving, that's it. That's the main thing. As long as I can leave when I want to leave and, you know, do yeah. my own Because it's, it's, it's a hard old station running run, run a pub at the best of times and you've got food going on and everything else. Mary, I'll leave you go. I've no reason other than time. Good luck with the sale of it and uh, happy retirement to you. Uh, you've, you've earned it well. You've earned it well. Thank you very much. Mary Daly of the Bayview Inn in Kilcrahan near Bentry. On the cashless, well, I think we should be able to use cash. Um, I, I only have what my husband gives me in cash. I don't have an income. I don't use any cards. Maybe best if I don't use your name in that case, because that doesn't sound too healthy to me. But anyway... All right, that's it, I think. It is. Programme edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched today by Richard Vickery. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did, and we will talk to you again tomorrow, just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. 